0: Uh, Luke chapter one. I'm continuing my habit, my pattern of not preaching in Daniel. I preach there about every other week that I preach. Um, it's fun. I love having a series where you don't actually preach the series. It's just more fun. I want to. I want to talk to you guys out of Luke chapter one. We're going to look at some uh, some verses that typically get pegged as Christmas verses, but they're really not Christmas verses at all. They're they're all year-round verses. Uh, let's read this together. Luke chapter 1, 26-38. Uh, you guys know this story. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray for a second. Is that okay? Yeah, let's pray. Father, thanks for, uh, thanks for your presence this morning. You guys can come on in and have a seat. It's totally cool. Father, thanks for your presence this morning. Uh, Father, thanks for being near us. Thanks for gathering around us anytime that we come into this room or even any time we just hang out together for lunch. Father, just help this whole building. <laughs> Father, we ask that your word would come out this morning and it would uh, find a place in our own heart. Father, would you, um, would you give us grace to receive you as good soil this morning? Amen. Amen. Well, I guess I'm preaching a Christmas passage in August um, this morning because one of the things I really felt like I wanted to share with you guys this morning... Uh, was something very simple, especially for the next season here at the Vineyard. It's something we've been talking a little bit about for the last few weeks. Uh, and it's this, uh, this idea, it's one of the things that I feel like the Lord is saying to our, to our church right now, and it is this, it's that God doesn't need any more experts. He actually doesn't need any experts. Uh, God doesn't need people that have it all together. That's actually good news this morning. God doesn't need people who have it all together. Um, God doesn't need people who have three or four advanced degrees. Uh, God doesn't need people who have their checkbooks perfectly balanced with three backups stored in the cloud. Like, you can say amen. It's totally cool. Like, he, he, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need people who are so meticulously organized with coupons that they can feed their entire family, cousins and all, for 46 cents. Right. He doesn't need someone with fashion sense. He, he gladly accepts people. Ray Hollenbach. Amen. God doesn't need someone with fashion sense. He gladly accepts people who still wear Crocs. He gladly accepts people who still wear Crocs. He, he even accepts those strange guys who wear the t-shirts with the wolf howling at the moon that has an eagle in it with a dream catcher hanging off the beak of the eagle. He gladly accepts those. I'm just going to share good news with you all for here a little bit, okay? It, it gets exceedingly better. Um, God actually doesn't require a person to have four IRAs stacked with money for retirement. And He doesn't require a 4.0. Thank you, Jesus. Like, (laughs) Thank you, God Almighty, thank you. He doesn't require that you even know hardly a thing about the Bible. He doesn't require that you have an intimate knowledge of ancient languages that you know Greek and Hebrew, and when you open up your Bible, you actually have like an original language text, like Dr. John. <laughs> he actually doesn't require that you have any intimate knowledge of any language whatsoever. For instance, perhaps last night you were in a fight and got thrown through the winder. Some of you in this room know what I'm talking about, particularly those people from Russell County. Lindsay. If that's the way you speak, the good news is this morning you still qualify. By the way, something does happen. When you get to Russell County, this is not a joke. Like, there's some of this running around in Taylor County, but when you get to Russell County, it's not, fought, rot, winder, battery. I mean, it's it, things change. And you still qualify. Um, God isn't looking for people with perfectly manicured lawns. People who have trained their pets not to crap in their neighbor's yard. You can watch TV. You can eat Doritos. You can occasionally enjoy a hot dog. You can even frequent NASCAR races and you'll still be on the team. (laughs) Maybe you bounced a few checks or ran up the credit card or two. And maybe you got cut off from your mom and dad. Maybe you're still playing The Legend of Zelda in your (laughs) mid-twenties. Sam? Maybe you're just plain stuck. Maybe you're still wearing that Black Sabbath t-shirt and trying to grow out your hair. Maybe Maybe you can't get a date with anyone other than your mom. Maybe you think the point of life is to retire and spend the rest of your days out on the lake or the golf course. Kill me now. Maybe you've totally missed it and you'll never be able to retire. Like you just know you're going to work till the day you die. Maybe you've tried three times like really, really hard and every single time it's ended in divorce. Maybe your kids don't like you. And neither do your parents. That's some people in here. Like you're an alien in your own family. And maybe things have gone just absolutely terribly. And perhaps you find yourself this morning at a spot where you're not an expert at anything. There's really good news. There's a spot on Jesus' team for you. Like he's actually He's actually not looking for experts at all. The reason I want to make such a big deal about that this morning is very simple. It's, it's really because we live in a world that values experts. Um, you value experts. I value experts. And um, I'm not saying that experts are a bad thing. You know, when I get on the plane, I want the guy who's sitting in the cockpit to be an expert. I, I want him to be somebody who hasn't just flown in the simulator. I want him to be somebody who's actually flown the plane. And not only that, but I want him to be the guy who's flown through a storm or two, you know? I don't want the first time we go over Kansas and we hit through a tornado, I don't want that to be his first time when I'm in the plane, right? I want him to be an expert. And when I get really, really sick, like really sick, like beyond normal sick, like with a fever that won't go away, and I go to the doctor, I want the doctor to be an expert. Like when they go and they put a knife on the tumor, I want the guy who's putting the knife on the tumor to be an expert. I don't want it to be the first tumor that... He's ever seen when I go to the doctor, I want them to be a little bit bored with the condition I have because they've seen it so many times, right? Like I don't want the doctor to pull out her iPhone and start taking pictures of me so that she can send it to her other doctor friends. I don't want the doctor to do this. You know, I, I think we have we can do a case study like I actually don't want that. I want them to be bored with what I have. And when I get letters from the IRS, I want an expert. When I get a letter from the IRS, I want someone who's going to write intimidating letters back to them. Because they're dirty, rotten cheats who are trying to take my money, right? (laughs) They're just a bunch of predators hunting my hard-earned dollars like a lion hunts a gazelle. (laughs) See, when that happens, you want a lion hunter. You want someone who's not afraid of them. You want intimidating letters back to the IRS. That's some people in here. You don't have to raise your hand. See, the truth is, everybody in here wants an expert. When we're in trouble, we want an expert. We want somebody who knows the ropes. Not only that, but we all want to be experts. Um, And the reason we want to be experts is because we all want to get paid. Show me my money. Right? Everybody in here wants to be an expert because at the end of the day, you want to get paid. Anybody who's ever fried french fries at 1 a.m. on a Saturday night knows in that bleak moment that you would die to be an expert. Like anything is better than frying french fries at 1 a.m. in fast food. You realize, you know what, my lack of expertise is not paying off. This is not just affecting my checkbook, it's affecting my future prospects with females. It's affecting my future prospects with everything. What am I doing? Why am I the guy here at 1 a.m.? Right? Maybe you never did that. Like, it's so bad you would be even willing to give up your Xbox if you thought you could get out from behind that fryer. See, the trouble is we take on this worldview and we take on this approach to life And we assume that God is looking for the very same things that we're looking for. We all need experts and we all want to be experts. We take on that worldview and we assume that God is looking for somebody just like that. We assume that God is looking for experts as well. And the trouble is, the trouble is, one of the things I've seen in Scripture is that God is constantly, constantly, repeatedly, over and over again. Choosing people who are not qualified, not experts, not conservative, total screw-ups, ruin their life three times, disobedient, rebellious, rabble-rousers. And he constantly chooses those people to come partner with him and do great things. It's really quite extraordinary. One of my favorite people in all the Bible is Gideon. Y'all remember Gideon? Gideon's the guy who is in a wine press trying to thresh wheat. How many of you realize you don't thresh wheat in a wine press? It's not the same thing. You go to the threshing floor to thresh your wheat. You crush your grapes in the wine press. But Gideon's in the wine press because it's a pit. So he's down in the pit and he's taking his wheat down there. And The reason he's taking his wheat down there is because he's completely afraid that if he threshes his wheat in the threshing floor, then the enemies of the people of Israel are going to come and they're going to steal his wheat. So he's a great big chicken and he's drug all of his wheat down into the, into the wine press. And in that moment, he's a complete scaredy cat. Complete scared he's probably he's probably a small man. he's probably five foot seven, hundred and forty pounds. He's probably really afraid. he's probably one of those guys who's just really timid and he's got all of his wheat down on the wine press because he's so afraid that someone's going to come and take it away from him, and then he'll have nothing to eat, no no bread, no nothing. And there the angel of the Lord shows up to him and says, Gideon, you've got the Lord's favor. you're a mighty warrior and Gideon's looking around like, who' Is there someone else in here besides me? The Lord looks at him and says, you're a mighty warrior. You turn the page, on the next page, Gideon is leading 300 men against 150,000 with some lanterns and some broken pottery and the Lord completely routs them in one of the greatest military battles in all of the Bible. God is Constantly choosing not experts to do fantastic things. Um, Noah, for instance. Noah's a crazy one, because we just don't see much about Noah, but the stuff that God asked Noah to do is pretty extraordinary. God comes to Noah and says, Hey, Noah, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to build a boat. A really big boat. And from what we can gather, Noah had never built anything in his entire life. Like, you understand, Noah had never built a boat. You understand, Noah had never even been in the Navy. He had never sailed. He would never been on a boat. And God asked him to build something that he's never been on, perhaps never seen, and never done. He says, I'd like you to build a boat. Noah's never built anything. He's not an engineer. He's never been to MIT. Didn't go to any of the right schools. Never apprenticed with anything, anyone. Had none of the right education. Had none of the experience. And God says, I'd like you to build a boat. And by the way, we're going to save the whole world through the boat. God is constantly using not the experts to do extraordinary things. And then he comes to David, probably one of my very favorite people in all the scriptures. And when he was just 15 or 16, he sends the prophet Samuel to David's house. And the prophet says, well, bring me bring me all the sons. And one by one, he starts with the oldest. No, not him, not him, not him. Finally, there has to be someone else. And Jesse, his father, says, yeah, there's one more. But he's out in the fields. And Samuel says, well, I'm not leaving until you go get him. And David comes in. He was just a little kid. He was probably... Probably no more than 16. He was probably just 15. Imagine the 15-year-olds running around here. Yeah, that was David. And the prophet Samuel takes the oil and he pours it on top of his head, right in front of his dad, right in front of his mom, right in front of every one of his older brothers. And it wasn't just like, okay, you know, here's an anointing service. It's going to be kind of cool or whatever. No, he got anointed as king over Israel when he's 15. He wasn't from a royal family. He had no experience. He had never been around a king. Never seen a king. Never done anything in the king's court. The only thing he'd ever done in his whole life was take care of sheep. That's it. And he's 15. See, God is constantly using not the experts to do extraordinary things. Now I want to look at our passage this morning. It's one of the things I love about the story of Jesus coming into the world, which is one of God's biggest moves in the whole Bible, is that God does it through a young woman who's not an expert. And I want you to look at verse 26. It says that in the sixth month, God sent an angel, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And this is our first, this is our first hint that God is going to do something in an unusual, unorthodox way. He sends the, he sends the angel Gabriel, one of the three archangels, Gabriel. To Nazareth. And Nazareth had a reputation for being a no-name, rough-and-tough town full of liars and cheats that was extremely small and insignificant. That was Nazareth. Um, it's actually a lot like Campbellsville. It actually encourages me a great deal that the Lord would do something so phenomenal in a rough-and-tough, uh, no-name, small town on the edge of, on the edge of civilization full of, full of liars and cheats. Because it actually means that He could do something here. I get very encouraged. See, here's the deal: if it were anybody else, we would have gone to Jerusalem first. Anyone else who wanted to do a big move would have gone to Jerusalem. God's like, no, I'll go to Nazareth. See, if you're going to do something great in America, you start in New York City, or if not New York City, maybe maybe Chicago or Washington D.C. Or if you're more of a if you're more of a left coast person, than you then you go to L.A. But God's like, you no, know what you know what? I don't want to do anything in New York City. I don't want to do anything in L.A. or Chicago or Washington D.C. I'd really like to start and a really know-nothing town like Campbellsville. I get really encouraged by that. It's one of the things that the Lord's told me about our town a couple times. He's told me a couple times. He said that, Adam, hey, um, Campbellsville has a Nazareth anointing. And that the surprise of God is going to come out of this town. Some of you are like, some of you might be thinking about Campbellsville. Oh, it's not so bad here. I kind of like it. That's just because you've never been anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually like this town a great deal as well. I wouldn't go anywhere else in the world. But one of the things that happens is when you go out and you travel a little bit, you realize that the, the greed to which uh, our, our community is actually oppressed, uh, is actually uh, impoverished, and is actually not experiencing the blessing that's a lot of other places. And that's just being real, real, real blunt and honest with you. And you need to go travel a little bit and see what's happening in other places to realize the degree to which uh, we are vacant in some areas. Um, But one of the cool things is that God has promised to do uh, amazing things right here. If He would choose Nazareth, He would also choose Campbellsville. And in verse 27, it says that a virgin was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Um, what, What really was going on here is that Mary was betrothed. There was three steps to getting married. Back in the day, the first step was you got engaged, and then you got betrothed. And betrothed was like more engaged than just engaged. It was like super engaged. It was so engaged that if you decided that you didn't want to be betrothed and you didn't want to marry that person anymore, you actually had to get a divorce. So it was basically like you're married, but you're just not living together. And then after you're betrothed, sometime in the course of a year, the bridegroom would come unexpectedly to your house with his whole family and marry you. Which is Isn't that a great picture? Wouldn't that be so much more exciting, like if you got betrothed, and then sometime during the year, like the groom and his whole family is going to come with a giant party to your house, and you just don't really know when, what day that is? I think that would be so much more fun. I don't know how we can do that, but if any of you guys are willing to do that, I'm willing to officiate. So Mary was basically engaged, but more engaged. She was engaged plus to Joseph... And um, this angel comes to her and he says in verse 28, "Uh, Greetings, Mary. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, No, I want to point a couple things out here. Who is highly favored and who is the Lord with? That's the question we need to ask. Who is highly favored in this story and who is the Lord with? It's very simple. It's not a trick question. The person who is highly favored and the person whom the Lord is with is a young girl named Mary who was probably only 15 or 16. She was a virgin, which is to say she was completely inexperienced. She was a young virgin girl, completely inexperienced from a know-nothing town. That's the person who is highly, fa- highly favored and who has the grace of the Lord on her life. Translation, not in the expert. In verse 29-33, through I think it's some of the most hysterical verses in the whole Bible, by the way. Only hysterical because it didn't happen to me. Um, But it's still hysterical nonetheless. The angel comes and says, you're highly favored, and the Lord is with you. And what is the sign that she is highly favored? And what is the sign that God is with her? Pregnancy. Awesome. You're 15. You're a virgin. You're completely, completely inexperienced. You've never even gone on a proper date with your husband. You're still living with your mom and dad. And one of the three most powerful angels in heaven comes to you and says, Greetings, highly favored. God is with you. You're going to get pregnant. Oh, great. How am I going to get pregnant? I'm a virgin. I think that's actually interesting that she asked, how am I going to get pregnant? I think she knew that this wasn't going to be usual. She had some clue this wasn't going to be usual. And the angel says, well, God's going to overshadow you. The Holy Spirit's going to come over you. He's going to overshadow you. You're going to get pregnant. And the person, by the way, that you're going to get pregnant with, is from the house and the line of David, and his kingdom will never end. It's going to save everybody. God is using not the experts. Oh, by the way, this is really hysterical to me as well. Sometimes you can be highly favored, and sometimes God can be with you, and it looks like you've been running around. Sometimes you've done every single thing right, and it looks like to everyone around you that you've done everything wrong. Sometimes sometimes you can be so highly favored from God that everyone thinks... That you're the biggest, most ridiculous sinner ever. And by the way, it was written in their law that they could stone you. Stone you for having sex with somebody who wasn't your husband or or wife. Her life was on the line. And by the way, it was from God. And here's the best part. This is my absolute favorite part. The angel, like, this is the part she gets to go home and tell her mom and dad and Joseph. Hey, mom, dad, Joseph, uh, great news. I met an angel today. Uh, Gabriel. Perhaps you've heard of him. And um, uh, even better news I am pregnant. And God did it to me. (laughs) Sometimes you can be so highly favored. Sometimes you can be so blessed. Sometimes God can be with you so much that it looks like you're not highly favored, not blessed. It looks like you've been running around. It looks like you're a complete sinner. And the only thing that she could say, her only defense is, God did it to me. Like the defense actually makes it worse. Now you're a blasphemer. No one has ever gotten pregnant like that. Ever. Ever. Dads, anybody want to have that conversation with your daughter? Anybody hoping? <laughs> What would you do if your daughter came in? Dad, you know what? I'm pregnant. I know I'm married to Joseph. Uh, Joseph didn't get me pregnant. What? You know, it goes from bad to worse. If Joseph didn't get you pregnant, then who did? Oh, it's okay. It's totally cool. The Holy Spirit got me pregnant, Dad. Oh, you mean, you're, you're talking metaphorical, right? Like, you're just pregnant with the things of God? Yeah, you can say that, but it's actually going to be a kid. <laughs> See, we need to explore this a little bit. Like, it's more than black and white on the page. And her only defense is God did it to me. Come on. Highly favored. How many of y'all would like to be that highly favored? Yeah, God's doing the biggest thing in human history. He's coming to earth in flesh, and he's partnering with not experts. The scripture says, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Ever. You're going to carry that guy in your womb. In your uterus. See, God is not looking for experts. God has a habit of doing the greatest things in the most unexpected places with the most unexpected people. And Mary is just one of the best examples. Um, Mary had three major strikes against her when it comes to being qualified. First major strike she had against her was that she was a girl. In those days, women were treated more like property than human beings. And it would have been utterly shocking to everyone that God would use a woman for such an important task. It would have been utterly shocking for everyone that God would use a woman for this kind of task. Just being a woman was a major strike. The second strike was that she was young. She was probably just 15 or 16 when the angel came to her. She carried absolutely zero clout in the community. Zero clout. She had zero clout. Her only job was to do whatever her mother said, which was probably clean the house and cook. That was the only job the men in the village never spoke to her never spoke to her but the third highest angel in all of heaven comes and speaks to her and the third strike against her was that she was uneducated she was probably quite bright but she was woefully uneducated if anyone in the family was going to get an education it would have been her older brothers or her brothers at all If anyone in the family was not going to get educated, it would have been Mary. She had never been to school. She was a woman, she was young, and she was thoroughly uneducated. She was absolutely positively not an expert. And I just love this because God chose her anyway. See, you can be the wrong gender, you can be the wrong age, and you can be thoroughly, wholly uneducated, and you can be perfect for what God has in mind. Can I talk to the girls and the ladies and the women in the room for a minute? Hello? Hello, ladies. How are y'all doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. Here's what I'd like to say to the girls and the ladies and the women here at the vineyard. first thing I'd like to say is this, is that God is not looking for more stodgy, white, middle-aged men. He's actually not. We'll just let that soak for a minute. You can be a woman and you can do way more than teach and share. In fact, women in this room, the women who are not in this room, the women who will one day be in this room, the women who are actually serving in some other place in the building, uh, you you all have... every right and every ability and every blessing to preach, to have a calling. You don't have to marry a pastor in order to do something great. You don't have to marry a missionary to do something great. You can preach. You can have a calling. You can run. You can run fast. You can lead women. You can lead girls. You can lead men. You can lead a family. You can lead anything you want to lead. Well, I don't know about that, brother. I do know about it. God chooses not expert girls, 15-year-old girls, to carry the Son of God forever. And forever she'll be blessed for that. Forever. There are some things that only women can do in the kingdom of God. Like Jesus could not have been born from a man. We all recognize that. What's the story? The story that God is trying to say is there are certain things that only a woman can can do there there is a certain message that only a woman can bring there is a certain message there is a certain thing in god that only a woman can bring and if the church benches half of its team we will never win see the church has benched half of its team strictly on gender boom we want to say right now you don't have to be the right gender here at the vineyard to be called to lead to preach to run to cast vision to inspire One of the things i found here is this, is God is not looking for external genitalia quite as much as He's looking for a yes in the heart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, God is looking for the yes in the heart. The second thing I'd like to say here as well is that you don't have to be older and you don't have to be experienced. You don't have to have gray hair. You don't have to be... Uh, you don't have to have gray hair to be a spiritual father or mother. You don't have to have gray hair to be a spiritual father or mother. You don't have to have gray hair to lead and pastor and disciple people. Uh, you can you can be you can be really young and disciple people. There there are fifteen year old kids that are better disciplers than people who have walked with Jesus for thirty five years simply because they have the yes in the heart. God doesn't require an advanced degree and the prereqs aren't, aren't school or that. It's not even going to this conference or that conference. Um, you just have to be willing. You don't have to be older. You don't have to be the right gender and you don't have to be super-duper educated. Um, God isn't looking for more whiz-bang theologians to lead His movement. The really great news this morning is that in God's kingdom... The, the only real prerequisite is a yes in the heart and a willing spirit. A yes in the heart and a willing spirit. That's the only real prerequisite in God's kingdom. When Evan Roberts was 25, I love the story of Evan Roberts. You guys familiar with Evan Roberts? Evan Roberts was the young Welsh man who, who basically led the Welsh revival. And Evan Roberts was between 24 and 25 when... In nineteen o four by himself, he traveled Wales and he led over a hundred thousand people to Jesus in ten months so you, you don 't have to have any gray hair to be powerfully used by god you don 't have to be you don 't have to be the right gender you don 't have to be the right age you don't have to be the right education then a few years later uh, william Seymour William Seymour was an African American man at the turn of the century and by the way, you realize that in the early 1900s um, there wasn't a great deal that an African American man could do that was super safe. Like, in in fact, one of the things that we know about that time is that um, in the early 1900s, uh, there were probably um, it was probably more dangerous for a black man than it even was during certain periods of slavery. There was such a re- there was such a reaction against um, uh, against the African American community, and in 190 around 1906. William Seymour, who was woefully uneducated, uh, tried to get some educated uh, tried to get some education, and when we when he went to get some training, the teacher wouldn't even the the Jesus preacher, the 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 theologian wouldn't even let him come in his classroom. Made him sit outside the classroom, but did let him open the window, and he could hear the teaching outside while all the white guys were inside, and he had to listen through the window. And William Seymour goes to Los Angeles and accidentally starts the biggest revival in the 1900s completely on accident in Los Angeles. It got worldwide coverage. People came from all over the world when it was not easy to come from all over the world. When you had to ride a month on a steamboat across the ocean and it might sink, you know, I mean, it was just crazy. People came from all over the world to come to Los Angeles And be a part of the revival. And because of that, it started the entire Pentecostal movement. And every church of God draws its roots to that one moment where an underqualified, wrong color black man, William Seymour, who was woefully not an expert, was powerfully used by God. You know, God is always doing great things with people who are on the outs. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26-31. through He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Amen. God is not looking for experts. He's looking for the willing. He's looking for people who have yes in their hearts. People like the prophet Isaiah who says, here I am, you can send me. That's all he's looking for. People who are saying, you know what, God, I'm, I don't know anything. I've basically ruined a good, the better portion of my life. But here I am. If you're willing to send me, just go ahead and send me. You see, Mary said yes, and she carried the Lord Jesus. And as a result, every person who says yes gets to carry the Lord Jesus. It's so prophetic. Mary says yes, and she carried the Lord Jesus. And because of her obedience, every other person who said yes in history gets to carry the Lord Jesus. Jesus makes a big point of it in John chapter 14. You're not just saying yes to some ethereal spirit who lives way out there. That that spirit of God comes and he lives on the inside of you. and Now you carry him around all the time. You could become pregnant with almost anything in God right now because he's already living inside of you. See, your yes just might change the course of history. And that's not hyperbole either. Your yes might cause someone to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the move of God. Like you could be working at McDonald's right now. There might be somebody in this room working at McDonald's frying french fries on Saturday night at 1 in the morning and if you say yes, you could, you could absolutely change the course of human history. You, you just might say yes in a way that gives birth to a move of God and changes an entire region, everybody in your family, everybody they know, everybody who lives in Kentucky. It could absolutely happen. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to be the right person. You don't have to be anything. You can ruin your entire life and say yes to God in a moment, and that one yes can change everything for everybody you know. See, when you say yes, it might mean it might mean yes for everybody in your neighborhood. See, oftentimes, this is the way God always works. When God comes to you and asks you for a yes, he's not just looking at you particularly. We have an American view of the way that God moves and actually the way that that every human interaction goes. This is this is the American view of the move of God. We assume that when God comes to us and asks us for a yes, that He's talking about me because He wants to make me great. That's only like one and a, that's only one and a half percent of the actual equation. When God is coming to you and asking you for a yes, He's actually asking everybody you know, and then a billion people you don't know, because your yes affects every one of those billions. <laughs> mike bickle billions your yes is always connected to someone else it's the falling dominoes of progress if you don't say yes if you say no the dominoes do not fall and the and the and the call of god on your life doesn't land on someone else i mean like come on with that you realize you don't go from you don't go from riding horses to riding in a mercedes glk there's always this, this, there's a process of God that's, that's, that's involved. You go from the horse to the horse and carriage, from the horse and carriage to the Model T Ford, from the Model T Ford to the 57 Chevy, from the 57 Chevy to the Mercedes, you never get from the horse to the Mercedes. There's always a process, there's always progress, and it's Always initiated with a yes to God. Your yes is never just your life. It's always your family, your neighborhood, this community, this region, this state, this nation. It could affect everything that happens after you. Just like your no absolutely does. The reason I'm making such a big deal about this is because right now we need people with a yes in their heart. We need people with a yes in their heart. Um, right now, here at the Vineyard, let me just speak to you as a pastor. We need we need not experts to host and lead home groups. You're like, no, I'm just somebody who needs to be discipled and trained. Well, if you've been here for about two years, no, you you need to start training and discipling. And in fact, you'll be a better disciple when you start making other disciples. There, there's there's a there's a limit to uh, the degree to which you can be Jesus's disciple until you turn around and start discipling someone else. Uh, Being Jesus' disciple is never about um, learning more and becoming smarter and fixing all of your issues. A lot of times, uh, your process with God and your issues are actually held until the moment you decide to become a healer, until the moment you decide to become a trainer, until the moment you decide to become an enabler, until the moment you decide to become a pastor. You're like, nobody's pastoring me. Well, go ahead and just start pastoring someone else and let the pastor of all pastors, the Lord Jesus Himself, look after you, you know? I mean, right now we need a people with a yes in their heart. Uh, right now we need people with a yes in their heart. People who'd be willing to pioneer with God into new territories. Uh, about two and a half months ago, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and He asked me, um, He said that our church was supposed to plant a vineyard church in every single Kentucky city with a college or a university. Now, you guys realize that's an impossible task. If, if, Everyone says no. But if people begin to say yes and say, you know what, God, I would be willing to leave this place. I would be willing to uproot my life. I would be willing to go and meet people that I do not know, find jobs that I never thought I'd do, uh, be in a place that I never thought I'd live for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Jesus. People who have a yes in their heart. If we, if we have a room full of people right now with, a, with yes in their heart to pioneer something new, then it's entirely possible. It's totally and completely, entirely possible. In fact, there are some people in this room who are living incredibly frustrated lives, and the reason you're living a frustrated life is because uh, God wants to move you on into a new territory, and He's actually removing grace for you to be here. You're like, what is going on? I'm telling you what's going on. The Lord is lifting grace for you to be here and he's actually calling you to be a pioneer and to move and to go someplace new for the sake of the gospel and for people who absolutely don't know him, for people who are living in darkness to come into his marvelous light. He's actually putting grace on that and he's taking grace off of this. Some of y'all are like, I've been here for a while and I'm just bored. Uh, that's a great sign that it is time for something new and that he's beginning to birth a pioneer heart in your life. And one of the first places we want to do that is in Columbia. And so one of the things that we're doing right now, Dusty Snyder and I, we're beginning to just say, God, would you give us a team of pioneers who want to go do something new in Columbia, to plant Vineyard Columbia, Vineyard Adair. I don't even know what we're going to call it. We feel like that's the first place we're supposed to go. Uh, The second and third place we feel like we're supposed to go is uh, Bowling Green and Center, Danville. Those are wide open to the Holy Spirit. And I just want to put that out there. I want to share some of this with you guys because... Uh, As I talk about it, uh, they're like seeds that fall on soil and some of these things are going to fall on you and you're going to know, oh my gosh, that's for me. So I'm just trying to give you fair warning. Um, Bowling Green, Columbia, and Danville are in the heart of the Lord. Uh, The Highlands in Louisville is in the heart of the Lord. There are people who are lost and shipwrecked and they need someone with a yes in their heart to say yes and just go with Jesus. So we need people with a yes in their heart. Uh, we need a people here at the Vineyard with a yes in their heart, so that we can, uh, so that we can have children's church without inmates. Marcus, you were scarily good at that. I'm not even entirely sure if scarily is a real word, but it's the only one that came to mind. So we need people with a yes in their heart. Amen? Amen. That's one of the things that God is asking for in our community right now. He's asking He's asking for Vineyardites to continue to live with a yes in your heart for the move of God. Uh, there is something more fundamental, though, and I want to share it with you this morning. There's something more fundamental than just having a yes in your heart for the move of God. And, and the more fundamental uh, yes is the yes to Jesus. And there may be people in this room, perhaps this morning, Who have never said, like, absolutely yes to Jesus. And it's essential that you begin right there. Like, you can't say yes to the move of God until you say yes to the King Jesus. And so, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to invite you right here in front of everyone to say yes to Jesus. Hmm. I don't know why I'm so emotional. Pastor Adam. Tender moments with Pastor Adam. Mm. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean by that. We live in Kentucky, so we live in the South. And part of what that means is that we live in a place where everybody's heard of Jesus. And it's easy easy to think that you actually know Him, that you really, really know Him. Uh, You've heard about Him. Maybe you've heard the story. Maybe you've even gone to church with your mama Uh maybe maybe your mama even gave you a Bible that you read once or twice. But you but you never you never laid your whole life down for Jesus. And you you never made a public commitment that that um that you belonged to him and that and that he was yours. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you an opportunity to um I want to give you an opportunity to encounter the salvation of God. Here's how we'll do it. Um we're gonna take just a moment here in just a second, and I'll give you the opportunity to stand, but I want to read one scripture for you because it kind of gives you some clue as to how this needs to go. Uh, Paul says says this, and I want to read it to you out of a, a slightly different version. He says this in Romans chapter ten. He says, he says, if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? Because the way to covenant membership is by believing in the heart, and the way to salvation is by professing with the mouth. So this morning, if you've if you've never committed your whole life to Jesus, I'd ask you right now just to stand up.